Sometimes looking back with nostalgia simply makes someone happy with the present. And there are a lot of inconveniences in life. And the longer you live, the more that you have, no doubt. That's in addition to the struggles. Sometimes we have more month than we have payroll, so to speak, or other things that can happen. But as I like to say, and I say often, life is opportunities mixed with difficulties. That's why, my dear friends, it's so important that we take advantage of each and every opportunity. Whatever comes down the path of life, we need to address it head on, not bury our head in the sand. You and I are God's witnesses. Mr. Seselka touched on that in his message. And as I like to tell the congregations in Louisiana, we're going to see as God's witnesses many, many marvelous and wondrous things. Now, we've seen already some of the destruction that Mother Nature can do. Louisiana had a flood in August of 2016, just a big rainstorm, but 92,000 houses were lost. We've seen the fires out west. We've seen flooding in other areas. We've seen mob rule. We've seen a lot of things, particularly of late. And I know when we're looking at things and when you're going through a horrific storm, Blowing winds, driving rain, scary hail. It's hard to imagine and to realize cobalt blue skies, gentle breezes, birds chirping, and all is well. But you know, we should almost have anticipation too, brethren. I saw the hands that came up for those that have been in the church for 45 to 50 years, which was, again, maybe a majority. We've seen a lot already in this time. And in the message today, I'm going to speak about the past. I'm going to speak about today and the hope and reality we have for tomorrow. I've entitled this sermon, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Well, how was your yesterday? Hopefully all of you had a fantastic day. I certainly did. I know we enjoy the feast Enjoyable, but I imagine there are some that had a tough day as well. But one thing is the same for everyone. Yesterday is gone. It's over. We cannot change a thing about it. Today is a new day, and we have hope for tomorrow. And obviously we know what that hope is. But this message is not about getting stuck in the past nor being caught up in the concerns for today, or worrying about what is ahead. This message is rather about perspective, yours and that of our great Creator God, Almighty God. Perhaps I can sum up perspective like this, yours and God's, that we put the past behind us, we're spiritually alive in the present, and we hope for and live to display His grace in the future. Let's turn back to one of my favorite books, too. Mr. Strain mentioned this in Isaiah. We'll begin in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. And we'll begin in verse uh, 8 and 9. And you know, our great God is an awesome God. And I can tell you, brethren, if you want to really be encouraged while you're here at the feast... Go back and read Isaiah chapters 40 through 46. We can learn more about our great, awesome creator in Jesus Christ. But here in Isaiah 55, verse 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we understand and we know that, brethren, we're still flesh and blood. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we're in the process of becoming something more than we were. So we see then, brethren, that the issue is that of perspective. There's a great deal of difference of seeing life through a horizontal lens that goes this way and a vertical lens from top to bottom. 
And I believe God wants us to see life through a vertical perspective, from the top down, from God down. That's why we have this wonderful book full of knowledge and information that God wants us to understand. Question, how then do we get this vertical perspective? You will not get this view of reality by watching the news or reading the paper or watching television and all the various medias. You won't get it by talking to Joe the plumber. God's perspective is different than yours and mine. And sometimes we say that we know God, we think of God, and we do, but we don't know him as deep as we're going to know him as we continue to grow. And it's important that we get his perspective, which brings the benefits. And that's what really matters, brethren. That's why we're here. God has promised. What really matters is what God wants done. We've already had that brought to us in some of the other messages. And brethren, I believe. No, let me correct that. I know. I know that God wants us to put the past behind us. And if we take just a moment and reflect on our past, we remember sin and we remember consequences of our life, back what we were doing, where we were headed. You know, you've been in the church for 40, 50 years. You have a long track record of being in the church. But even in that, I'm not the same. I hope I'm not the same person that I was 48 years ago when God called me and I came into the church. You're not either. We also remember how God stepped into our life, how he touched us in a way that maybe didn't affect your siblings or your parents or other loved ones or even perhaps your spouse. We remember those years, I do, back in the 60s, a time of fantastic growth. At baptisms, uh, we'd have 15, 20 at a time. But, of course, that was a different time as well. What God was doing as far as causing the church to grow. And over the years, we've had a lot of growth. And unfortunately, we've also had those that have turned aside to follow other interests or other gods or whatever. But God is wanting us to do something. He's put us on the path of life. So we see a great contrast in perspective. Ours has been dwelling in the past who and what we were. But God had a different perspective for you and me. That's why we're here today. God's plan for the future. Turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 2. This has been touched on, but we're going to go back. Repetition is good. And like I tell my people, I apologize for nothing that's written in God's Bible. That's for sure. And here in Ephesians 2, we'll read the first couple of verses. He said, and he, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins. Mr. Strain brought this out. It says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works now in the sons of disobedience. And brethren, we just saw that here a few days ago with a mass murder, a psychopath, a man bent on evil thought nothing of slaughtering innocent people. They still haven't found a motive. I think perhaps he was demon-inspired. I don't know anyone who'd want to kill as many people as they could kill. And then he was a coward. He killed himself. This goes on in verse 3. Among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And it says, and by nature, human nature, children of wrath just as others. And the others here, people, is all of mankind. Quite a contrast in guys. And you know, it doesn't take a mass murderer living in sin or trespass. You know, you can be a liar. You can be a thief, an adulterer. doesn't really matter. You're breaking God's law. You break one, you broke them all. Spirit, 
So the scriptures here describe the conditions of every person. We were all dead. If you're now a Christian, that was a past reality. Were. Past reality. If you're not a Christian, this is your present condition. You're dead according to what is God's perspective. His divine reality. And brother, note too, this is not talking about physical death. Scripture here is talking about you were dead in transgression and sin. And then the Bible, there are two words used for death. One is necros, meaning the separation of the spirit from the body, the breath from the body. The body is physically dead, dies. The other is thanatos, talking about the separation of a person from God, spiritual death. So in a sense, if we say we were all born dead, we were alive in the flesh, but we were dead, if you will, meaning we were separated from Almighty God. All of you who are now Christians were one time spiritually dead, but now you're made alive by our great God in Jesus Christ. If we continue here in verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. Oh, what a blessing that is, brethren. We were dead and trespassed. Turn over just to chapter 5 for a minute. And in verse 8, Ephesians 5, 8. I've even heard ministers sometimes misread this. It says here in verse 8, For you were once darkness. You weren't in darkness. You were darkness. Just like this world is darkness without the light of Almighty God. But God in His mercy has saved us. The Bible also says that if you're not a Christian, you are a slave to sin. Look at that. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Romans 6.15 What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. God's law is still in effect. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Again, we're talking about perspective. Obedience is why we're here today. Obeying God. And some may say, well, Mr. Harrison, I'm not a slave. I'm free. And yes, you're free to do anything you want. You choose. God has given us free moral agency. But brethren, you're only free to do what you want to do. You're not free to do what you ought to do. The problem is choosing the right thing. It would be like putting a Bible and a bottle in front of a drunk. He chooses. He's free to choose what he wants, but he's not free to choose what he ought to. And there are many that think they really are free. They don't realize they're a slave to sin because, as the Bible says, he who continues in sin is a slave to sin. Perhaps I can illustrate this with a little story. This is about an old mining prospector, a good old boy, real Texas cowboy, who came down out of the mountains out in West Texas near Guadalupe Peak. He came to the only saloon, Van Horn, Texas. He tied up his old, dirty, smelly, nasty-looking, loaded-down pack mule to the hitching post and started to walk inside to get a drink. There were some cowboys standing around there, and one of them said, Old man, have you ever danced in the street? And the prospector said, Nope. The cowboy says, Well, now you're going to dance. Pow! Pow! He starts shooting his pistols. And the old prospector started dancing a jig. Everybody was laughing and having a good time. 
And when he ran out of bullets and before he could reload, the old prospector reached up on his nasty, smelly pack mule, pulled out a great big double-barrel, rabbit-eared, 12-gauge shotgun. By the time the cowboy had his pistols reloaded and looked up, he was looking down the barrel. Eyeball to eyeball, two big holes. The old prospector said, Cowboy, have you ever lip-kissed a mule? (laughs) Nope, but I've always wanted to. (laughs) You, You see, brethren, you see, he wasn't free to do the right thing. He was free to do what he wanted. But you might say he was under strong compulsion. And in our past, you and I were free, free to do what you wanted to do, and we did. And that was the wrong thing. But when you become a Christian, or in the process of becoming a Christian, God sets you free to do the right thing, under a strong compulsion, if you will. Perhaps you've considered how easy it is to remember the sad things in life or bad experiences in your past, the hurts, perhaps sufferings. I enjoyed the sermonette talking about God wants us to be rejoicing. But Satan wants to steal your happiness. He wants to steal your joy. Take away any encouragement from you. Satan wants to make you forget God. It's always about self, about pleasure. Let's look back at Psalm 105. Psalm 105. And here we're encouraged. Verse 5, Psalm 105, 5. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. God has done so much for each one of us, brethren. And I can tell you truly, in my experience, if God can work with me, he can work with anyone. And that's the truth. That's the truth. We all have our own stories. I know that. But if we remember, if we think about how he stepped in and saved your life, whether it's from an automobile accident, whether it was from a pending divorce, whether it was from financial ruin, whatever it was, We know who we can give the glory and honor to. Since we're so close, turn back to Psalm 103. We sing this, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. And the way that we were going in the past led only to destruction. Destruction. He redeems us, who crowns us with loving kindness and with mercies. And God is merciful, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And brethren, the feast is a good time. Maybe a quiet morning or the setting of the evening, whatever. Consider and count your blessings. Be remindful of that First feast, I remember Jekyll Island, 1970, big tent, rainy, stormy. I like Texas a whole lot better. (laughs) But we remember. And no, brethren, we do not want to live in the past. We want to learn from the past. Best we leave the past behind and we look to the future. Look to the future. Turn with me over to Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. Isaiah 43, and in verse 18, we're told, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. It says, Behold, I'll do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? What is that new thing that's going to spring forth, brethren? It is going to be, as I have in the margin of my Bible, God's government on earth. World government at last. Peace at last. 
We pray for that to come. He says, you shall not, shall you not know it? Even I'll make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the, the whole earth is going to be changed to give drink to my people, my chosen, this people I formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. In reflection of your past, I hope you remember truly the marvelous, wonderful things God has done. For each one of you, he's brought you here today. You don't need to turn to it, but in 1 John 1, 9, we know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Meaning, let go of the past. You know, around Passover time, I sometimes will counsel someone and they're dragging this big bag behind them. From 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I asked, why? We can't go back. There's no do-over. Let go of the past. What about your perspective for today? Has God raised you up? Are you zealous and a vibrant being, being part of the work of God? Are you striving with all your might to enter the kingdom of God? Let's consider God's desire for you today. We've already talked about who we were. Let's again consider God's perspective. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 6. Ephesians 2, 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Oh, brethren, you and I have been so blessed, given so much. But I want you to notice something. It says, but God, but God. This is where the change happens, if you will. The difference between verses 3 and 4 and 4 and 5. Notice, brethren, we go from deserving the wrath of God to receiving the mercy and love of God. God is merciful. God is loving. I think you know God loves each one of you just as you are. But he also loves you enough not to leave you where you are. We're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. And when did God start loving you? That's a good question to think about and contemplate. When did God start loving you? I believe with all my fiber that God has loved all of us. From the beginning of eternity. We're his chosen people. God has loved you from eternity. I don't think there's ever a time that Almighty God has not loved his people. To this very moment here in Lake Conroe, Texas at the Feast of Tabernacles. So what about today, brethren? This very present time. Where are you in your life today? Let's take a look at what God's Word tells us. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 6. He gives us some information that we need to follow. Because we do live in scary times. Anything can happen to anybody, anywhere, period. We saw what happened in Las Vegas. We had shootings here this past year all over. We had them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Had them in Dallas, Texas. No one's safe. It's a violent, evil time, to say the very least. But here in Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and body and more than clothing. And yet if you look in the world, brethren, that's what it's all about. What are you wearing, or mostly not wearing? 
Uh, and then, you know, I come from a state where, you know, if they can get their lips over it, they'll eat it. I mean anything. <laughs> My wife and I were absolutely dumbfounded coming back from services one day. We saw a man on the side of the road with three or four big ice coolers and a sign out front, fresh coons and possums. They weren't alive. They were dead. They were, you know, roadkill or whatever. I don't know. It's just that, uh, you know, we, we can't worry about that. Let's continue. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barn. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And then he says, "What? which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? So why worry about clothing? Consider the lilies, even saying Solomon and all his glory. Wasn't arrayed like one of those. We have these beautiful arrangements that we see. We're grateful for what they add. But he goes on to talk about here in verse 30. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is the day, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the world, seeks. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And God does. But then he tells us something, brethren. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things shall be added to you. And they have been added to you. Look what a beautiful sight we're in. You know, we all come here with a pocket full of money. We have a great place to stay. You can buy anything that you wish with drink or food of that nature. This doesn't mean, though, brethren, that we cannot be concerned. All of us were very concerned when Harvey came to Texas or when Irma came to up the middle of Florida. We all have loved ones. But Scripture here is talking about mental anguish, overly concerned about physical conditions, problems, situations, Wondering, what will the future hold? I'm going to tell you the future. Christ is coming back. And I believe very soon. If we read verse 34, we read, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. There will always be something else, my friend. You know, I'm fairly busy, like all the ministers are, I'm sure. But I barely get done with one thing before something else comes up. I had difficulty with a car coming over here. I couldn't believe we could not find parts to fix it. Things happen, even to ministers, you know. Something always is coming up. But this also, reading this means to me that we can anticipate having difficulties. But the key is taking advantage of the opportunity, learning to be prepared, using the knowledge and wisdom that God has granted to you and to me to be overcomers. And we get that by being closer to Jesus Christ. You can be a warrior of righteousness, not just for today, but for all eternity. You know, someone asks, who are you? You're not a sinner. You're a Christian. You're a saint of Almighty God. Quite a different distinction. Yes, sometimes we slip, but as we read, if we confess, God is eager to forgive. Well, brethren, you and I have been given a job to do. That's another one of the expectations from our Lord and Savior. We weren't put here just to... Have a good time. That's why the feast only lasts eight days, basically. You know, we got to get back to work. But we can take advantage of every opportunity, whether you're serving here, at home, on the job, in school, whatever you're doing. Mr. Strain read this. It's also one of my favorite psalms. Go back to Psalm number uh, 22. Psalm 22. 
and in verse 30, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. And aren't you and I glad of all the former men and women in God's church down through the ages that kept the truth, that kept at it no matter how little or how small or how great or how numerous. And here we are today from the help that they gave. It says they will. They came and declared his righteousness to a people who will be born. And brethren, we're doing that today. Whether it's in the telecast or television program or any of the various uh, booklets, the opportunities. Well, what are some of the activities or the mandates from God's calling? Let's turn back and read another scripture that we're well aware of, that in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. I think you could probably quote this one to me. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I've had people tell me it's it's hard to think that I'm a priest. You are a worker. You are in training to be just that, kings and priests. God is using you. A holy nation. His own special people. What makes you special? And this is in God's eye, brethren. Your obedience to his laws we heard about. Your desire and your hope yet for what is coming. It says that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have. How do you proclaim praises to God when you're 70 or 80 years old? Well, I think by prayer and supplication. If you're still employed at that age or if you're younger, you have tithes and offerings. But all of us, brethren, all of us participate by our example. You are what you are by God's grace and mercy. We have the knowledge. We have the understanding. We are God's people. We can appreciate very much all that God has done for each one of us. We're now the people of God. And maybe you don't feel like that you're extra special, but you are. I'm so grateful to be part of God's church and His truth. I'm thankful, brethren, I know that you're thankful as well. But I want you to also know that you're part of something. And, brethren, the living church of God is doing that, proclaiming the praises of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every effort is being put forth to be faithful stewards of what God has granted and given us. Again, we're His witnesses. We're His chosen people as well as being his watchman to declare, not only to our own peoples, but to the world, the truth of Almighty God. You and I are part of God's church, his saints, his chosen people, as Peter recorded. But brethren, we've been given a job to do for today. Let's turn back to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And here we read in the first few verses, Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We're doing that right now this morning, brethren. We're in obedience. We're here. And our ears are hearing the words from God. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told told us we will not hide them from their children. 
telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done, as well as what He's going to do. We don't know all the prophecy, but we know a lot, brethren. God's plan of salvation, we're participating in that right now. I'm grateful for Mr. Armstrong and for all of those before him. God started working with me when I was 18 at a scholarship to college. But he was gentle and kind. Then I met a minister, a true minister of Jesus Christ, who kind of helped me get started, get directed. I had a football scholarship. I was redshirted, but the last year I didn't play football. I kept the Sabbath, went to church. And when you're that young, those are some hard decisions to make sometimes. But God is working with you and working with me. And we're here today, my friends. I see all these families participating, young and old alike, keeping God's law, participating in the plan of salvation from our great creator, God. We're listening and learning. We're having his words expounded to us. And I think by that participation, you're gaining the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding, the truth of God. But you're also preparing. And by that preparation, you are also then anticipating the glorious opportunity of not only serving one another, but serving others. Also bringing about the fruition of the plan that God has for all of mankind. We saw the big beautiful moon this morning. I did. I was up early. And you think about everything that's in outer space. All the stars, the planets, the galaxies. And it's empty. Why do you suppose it's empty? I think one day it's going to be filled up. I think God's going to work on that. We'll know more as... I guess time goes on on that end. But the opportunities are unlimited. We're anticipating. And you know, to be successful, every opportunity must be given maximum effort or have exceedingly great compulsion as the cowboy did. And I'm telling you, my friends, today is the day. Turn with me to... 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We look here at the first few verses. It says, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That's my prayer too, brethren. We've been given something. For he says, As in an acceptable time I have heard you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is a day of salvation. It's not the day, it's a day. And you know, when I look out over this congregation, I see many like me. You know, the black went away a long time ago. The gray hairs have been spread to many, mostly crowns, I'm sure. And yes, brethren, we're older, perhaps a lot of us on the downhill side of life. But God is still with us, doing a work with me and you and others like us, giving us opportunities mixed with difficulties. Best we be doing our part just as King David did. He was a man after God's own heart. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. And in verse 9, Psalm 71, verse 9, David said, wrote, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Drop down to verse 17 and 18. O God, you have taught me from my youth. 
and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And brethren, we're doing that. And I think God has blessed this work. I know the men at headquarters are very diligent. Uh, the workload, the travel, every now and then when I talk with Dr. Winnell, I ask him if he has to look in his daytimer to find out what country he's in. He's busy. We're doing the job. I've said often here at the feast site that if you cannot hear the hooves of the horses of this world, surely you're living a sheltered life. Look around the world. The weather is incredulous. Yes, there's been storms before, but not like we've had here of recent. When we see all this going on in the world, brethren, surely we have to say our time is short. But God, just as God gave instruction to ancient Israel, you and I can apply the same instructions today. Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah 46. Verse 3 and 4, Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, even the gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. Brethren, it's going to happen. God has promised. We can take a great solstice in what he has promised to all of us. Let's go back to Ephesians one more time. Ephesians chapter 2. Read what I didn't read. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's another reason that you're here. You're participating. You're following instructions. We're doing the job that we've been given to do. And you know, walking in has no age limit, young or old. I remember years going back, I had a fairly elderly lady that came up to me and said, Mr. Harrison, I'm old, I can't do very much. And that was true. But this woman had the most incredulous, beautiful smile of anyone I've ever seen. And I told her, I said, well, you know, when I stand up here to preach or whatever, and I look out in that audience and I see that beautiful smile, it touches the heart. That's what you can give, give it. Whatever you have, use what you have. But Jesus Christ has expectations of his people. Turn with me back to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. And in verse... Where am I at here? It says in verse 15 that we're to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place again. Tithe. I'll get there. Verse uh, 14, Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And brethren, I think we are. Many of you had to overcome some hardships just to get here. But again, we're told not to be lukewarm. You know, and that growing cold, I gave a sermon on that not long ago in my home congregations. That's a process, growing cold. 
You know, if you take a, a cold beverage and put it in the refrigerator, it's not cold immediately. It takes time to grow cold. God says we're to be zealous. So I hope each one of you will allow this Feast of Tabernacles to re-energize, to encourage and inspire you today to be zealous, to be on fire for the work of God. What about tomorrow? What will the tomorrows bring? And yes, I do know, brethren, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of things, again, we don't know. So many things depend on other things. But there are those that are prophetic. It's going to happen because God says so. And then there are sometimes things that happen we just shrug and go, you know, who knows? I think that of most of the weather guys anymore. It's just, it's hard to speculate. You know, they say rain is hot. They say hot, it rains. It's, it's one of those deals that we don't know sometimes. And I do not want to speculate, but let's do review some of the things that are going to happen because God's Word says it's going to happen. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Let's begin here in verse 6. We're very familiar with this passage. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 6. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Look at, look at the continent of Africa. The countless millions that are starving. And why are they starving? Because the government is holding all the food stock that has been supplied for ransom. It's a terrible situation. There is famine. There is pestilence. I read an article the other day. There are some things now that have mutated to where we don't have any drugs for it. And this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, kill you. You'll be hated by all nations. Then it says many will be offended, betray one another, hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. It says because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Grow cold. You know, brethren, this is a scary time. We should anticipate that there are some things coming that are going to be hard, hard to look at. But we can look to our great, great God and our Lord and Savior because we have that hope. Verse 21, verse 22. For then will be great tribulation and such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect, for the selected of God, those days will be shortened. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to worry as many do. I've said and I'll say again, you are God's witnesses. You and I and others like us will see many marvelous, wondrous, Miracles, sights, signs, and some of them, unfortunately, will be most likely horrific as the plan of God unfolds and comes to fruition. But let's look at some encouraging words back in John chapter 14. It's always wonderful to read what the boss says. We're very familiar here in the first few verses. He tells us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And we do, brethren. We do. He says, there are many offices or estates. I'm going to describe this a little later. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. How I look forward to that, and I'm sure all of you do as well. So since his resurrection, Jesus Christ has been preparing something for each one of you. For all of God's saints. And this preparation brings to fruition the plan of salvation, which the holy days picture. Let's look at Romans chapter 2 and in verse 7. Romans 2, 7. This is what we're looking for, brethren. God has prepared. But at the same time, we have to be patient in our well-doing. Romans 2, verse 7, breaking into a thought. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and good doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. We're seeking that. That's why we left jobs. That's why we left schools. That's why we are here in this feast site today. We're seeking what God has promised. We want what God has promised, eternal life and becoming a son of God. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 2, And in verse 25, And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. I don't know if you think on that or meditate on that. I do from time to time. God gave me a big old body, but it's breaking down. Some of the parts don't move like they used to move. You know, hearing's gone, eyes are gone. I mean, we all have that, oh, woe is me. But nonetheless, brethren, God has blessed us in so many, many different ways. But the promise is for eternal life. And not only be given eternal life, we're going to be given more than that, a reward from Jesus Christ. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. And in verse 12, again, the boss is telling us, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. You know, if you have a little patch or a little garden, you take out pretty much the proportion that you put into it. You don't keep the weeds and the bugs out, you're not going to get very much. But on the other hand, if you have a sharp hoe, if you get out there, whether in the heat of the day or early morning or evening, you keep the weeds out, you keep the bugs away, we got to put a fence around ours to keep the deer from eating it. But whatever it is that you do, then you should have the expectation for a generous reward. And he says, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Again, opportunities mixed obviously with difficulties. But he also said something back in John 17 in his prayer that we need to look at. John chapter 17. Verse 24. John 17, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And where is Jesus Christ, brethren? He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And where is God the Father? Obviously on his throne. And I like to paint you a mental picture yet of the future. There's not enough time to cover all that I'd like to cover regarding God's throne. But I do want to paint a mental picture. Something I hope that you can take home with you forever. A mental image of the glory of our great God and His Son. This is your tomorrow. 
We're not going to worry about just the next day. We're looking at the big tomorrow, if you will. But brethren, in order to have this tomorrow, you must live your life to the glory of God today. Today. That is what will enable us to be participants in the new Jerusalem. Let's go back to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. I think we're familiar with most of this, but here in this particular chapter, it talks about what John had seen. It talks about the very throne of God there in verse 1. It says, come up here and I'll show you things which must take place. It's going to happen. Verse 3 said, the one that sat there is like jasper and sardis stone in appearance, a rainbow around the throne. Beautiful colors. Verse 4, the 24 elders clothed in white robes with crowns of gold. We drop down to verse 6. Before the throne of God, there was a sea of glass like crystal. The four living creatures, a magnificent thing. So we get a little bird's eye, just a tiny little look at the very throne. But think now with me also as we think about this, brethren. After all has transpired that happens throughout the book of Revelation, coming into the culmination of the end of the age, the reigning king of kings, All three resurrections have occurred. There is no more graves or death. Our greatest hope for tomorrow comes the new Jerusalem, the very throne of God. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. Can you imagine what all this is going to look like, coming down from heaven? I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He shall dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more death, sorrow, or crying. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I'll be his God, and he'll be my son. I hope we can visualize in our mind some of what these words are saying to us. There in verse 10 and 11, John saw the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, having the glory of God like precious stones, It says there that uh, most precious stones like jasper, clear as crystal. And he goes on to give a little bit more description. Of course, this is the very end of all things. We've got this magnificent city coming down from heaven. I got to thinking about this city, the measurements and whatnot. If we look in chapter... uh, 21 verses 12 through 21 it talks about had a high great wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates names written on them of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel it says in verse 14 the wall of the city had 12 foundations on them were the names of the 12 apostles and they measured it and it was laid out to be a square or really and truly a cube 1,500 miles square as well as 1,500 miles tall, as it talks about in verse um, 16. A furlough, as it says in the New King James, is an eighth of a mile. Then he says it measured the wall, 144 cubics. 
That's 216 feet. That's more than 20 stories tall. Quite a wall. It goes on to talk about the construction. Pure gold, clear as glass, the foundations, the stones, the gates, all that was there, brethren. Each gate was one pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. I did a little arithmetic. Math was never my great subject. But for a cube, a perfect cube, that has the capacity of 3.375 billion cubic miles. Hard to imagine that. But if we were to think about how many people that we could put in something of that size, if we gave every person, a half a cubic mile, that would hold 27 billion people, and each one of those people would have 1,689,560 acres per person. If we cut that down to just a quarter cubic mile, that'd be 216 billion people, and each one of them had 844,800 acres. That's a lot of real estate. A lot of real estate. I'm not real sure what all of that means from the standpoint of the scope of what God is planning. But I think mentally we, we can picture something that is so far beyond even our wildest imagination. The glory of our great God. The glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, it has high walls. God is going to give us so much. Let's read just a little bit more here. Verses uh, 22 in uh, chapter 21. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, or its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles, causes an abomination or a lie. But only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a blessing, brethren. What a blessing. It's continued for a few verses over in 22, Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding the fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And then he says something here. And then there shall be no more curse. And you remember in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the earth with briars and thistles and told Adam by the sweat of his brow he would eat his bread from the earth. Not so in God's kingdom, in God's world. It's going to be fruitful. Very, very fruitful. No more a curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be written on their forehead. We're going to see our Father. We're going to see Jesus Christ, just as I'm looking at you today. What a blessing, brethren. What a blessing. Verse 5, there shall be no night there. There will be no need nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they, the saints, shall reign forever and ever. What a glorious picture of tomorrow. What we're hoping for this tomorrow. I hope you'll go home and meditate and think about this. 
Let me close with one last scripture. It's down in verse 7. Chapter, Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Brethren, it's going to happen. God's word does not go out in vain. And if I don't see you again, I hope I see all of you at God's throne.